not happen for an age. Then What's that? Tis a gathering. Hello and welcome to Entmoot, the battle games in Middle-earth podcast all about the Middle-earth strategy battle game from Games Workshop. I'm Harry and this is episode 67 of the podcast and we're continuing the Numenor quest and I'm sorry if it feels like uh, the same record over and over again but uh, we're trying to do what we did with the uh, Numenor, uh, sorry, with the Easterlings uh, with the Numenor to try and make success of a faction that perhaps is undervalued and of course we'll be playing lots of different uh, armies and lots of different people over the course of uh, today's podcast because the event we're going to is in Grantham, uh, the birthplace of Margaret Thatcher and Isaac Newton uh, and of course the home to Dice Cavern Games which is the, uh, the the place that we'll be playing the tournament at. Some unusual restrictions for this one so it won't be exactly the same uh, in terms of my army uh, as we've done for the previous episodes. You're not aware but there's a, a rumbling slow grow happening behind the scenes. Um, I might have mentioned it in a couple of podcasts ago uh, where I'm slowly building my Numenor um, so I've done a, I feel like I've done, played a lot of games of Numenor at low points recently but it might not feel like that to you. But this tournament is similarly uh, low points and it's got some restrictions that mean you have to have a green alliance. No legendary legions, no pure armies, only green alliances, which makes for some very unusual list combinations for lots of things. It means that you can't play Isengard, for example. Uh, there's, you know, some of the legendary legions you'd expect to see at lower points uh, not appearing. So actually a really interesting one and one that I'm uh, intrigued to see what people come up with. So we'll find out a little bit more about what they do later on in the podcast. Um, also, my email inbox is absolutely rammed full of people who have sent messages about 3D printing. And what I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to, we, we will discuss it a little, um, but not a lot. Um, we'll save that for a next episode, just because there's, I'm just over, I was, I was amazed at how many people were interested. I've got, I think, 13 emails um, on 3D printing, and some of them incredibly long emails. So. Uh, I'm going to touch on a couple of the other uh, messages in there to clear them out of the the email inbox. And then next episode, we're going to do a a sort of... It's a weird uh, weird episode. We're going to look ahead to uh, the Grand Prix and some other big tournaments uh, that are happening. And also, uh, we're going to do the return, the long-awaited return of the Quest of the Ringbearer. So hopefully we'll get a few uh, Quest of the Ringbearer scenarios in it, which is a continuation of an episode... That I d- it must be a dozen at least episodes ago now, um, but anyway, there was a there was an episode a while back which was uh, we started some of the uh, quest of the ring bearer um, uh, scenarios, and we sort of did a little bit before and after each scenario to sort of see how excited we were for the scenario, and then um, you know what we thought of it after the scenario once we sort of played through it a couple of times. So um, it it was it would be a very long time ago that we did um, we did that. So I, it might even been when. I think it might have been when uh, when it came out, when it first came out. Yeah, I think it would probably be would it be 2020. I mean, God, if it is, that's quite a long time ago. So uh, we will finally continue that, uh, which is nearly 
two and a half years later. So that's that's what we're going to do next episode, and then we'll delve into the 3D printing debate then. Uh, so if you still have uh, a, a kind of feedback on whether you think 3D printing is killing the game or supporting the game, I'd be really interested in your uh, your, your two pence worth uh, entmootpodcast at gmail.com. But first, let's focus on today's episode, which is the Fellowship of Grantham. Let's build an army. So as I mentioned, some unusual restrictions for building the list here. So I've got to start with uh, my Numenor, which is what I really wanted to to do from the start uh, of this year, and it's become my quest for probably the first half of the year. We'll see how uh, how far it goes into the year before I uh, I, I ditch it completely. Um, and this is, is first of all, it's an odd one. Um, the the points limit is 423 points. Yes, that's right, 423. And it's a really cool theme. Um, it's because that's how many pages were in the Fellowship of the Ring originally when it was released uh, way back when. So that's, that's A, that's cool. I like that. Uh, this is Nathan Talbot, by the way. He's uh, known in the community as being a serial commenter on Facebook and YouTube uh, things. Um, he's been on the podcast multiple times talking about various things, including Berigond, and uh, he's been to various different events. I played him at the Grand Prix, uh, the Seventh City Collectibles Grand Prix last year, and managed to pip him to the uh, the win in the final round, largely because my Shelob, um, no, sorry, my Easterlings were holding up his Shelob, uh, particularly successfully uh, during a game of retrieval, uh, to win the pod number two, um, Chaser pod f- win, essentially. So it's like divided off into World Cups style rankings and I ended up winning the second pod uh, and therefore get myself a free ticket for the event which is coming in a few weeks time so that's cool uh, anyway uh, Nathan is running this event in Grantham his hometown and um, it's really not that far away from me for an hour it's in Lincolnshire but it's still an hour away uh, and I'm in Lincoln so um excited for this 423 points very unusual we mentioned earlier the restrictions include only green alliances only. Nothing else is allowed. No legendary legions, not even pure armies. I thought pure would be fine. Uh, clearly not. He has a thing about it because Fellowship of Grantham is about people joining together to be allies and therefore winning out the day. So a cool theme. We loved that. Um, and obviously Numenor has a green ally, if you're aware of the Matrix, um, which I still find a bit fiddly to to kind of follow. But anyway, um, do you, I just get some of the crowns mixed up and some of the leaves mixed up all the time. Anyway, um, so there's one alliance that the green alliance that the Numenor can take and that's Rivendell so I have to have a Rivendell hero in this army and green alliances require a hero of fortitude or above there are uh, uh, whispers abound of um, people who are planning to take take sort of you know high um, uh, sorry low low model count armies but uh, I can't think of any Barador for example is out of the question um, because green allies would require you to ally a hero of 23 points which wouldn't work so anyway uh, I'd be interest, interested to see what people come up with but I've come up with literally one two three four army lists and this is very rare for me to come up with this many lists i found 423 points next to impossible to do with the heroes on offer because all of the rivendell heroes are really really high points and um the uh, numenor heroes are pretty high points too so i was trying to find the heroes that i like that are low enough points that 
that you know that you can get enough troops but then high enough points that you think that are sort of you know good enough that you think they're actually going to hold their own in this sort of event and i was scratching my head mainly because i don't have uh, a lot of uh, Rivendell heroes built and painted so here's where I started I'm not going to read through all of these lists I'll summarize um, some of them um, but here's where I started I started with Gildor because he's my only painted uh, or until I've painted the other one uh, that I'll talk about later um, he's the only one that I've got painted from Rivendell so Gildor he's the the one he's March he brings his Nolder in exiles um, and he's got magic so he's got oh, immobilize and um, four points of will so pretty cool um, and I started with him allied in with Isildur on a horse with the ring so that's quite cool and I ended up with 22 models in that one but um, three of them were Noldorans uh, so they were low uh, low sort of defense uh, and so I ended up with something like what two six elves and um, 16 or 15 or whatever it is uh, 14 um, Numenorean warriors in there so I thought that was quite good um a sealed door can slap like the rest of them um he's fight six and he's got the ring um obviously has to jump off his horse to do that and Gildor is handy to have around he's got the magic and he's fight six he's not terrible but he is very vulnerable to being killed and I, I thought I just didn't want to rely on three or four elves uh, wood elves that are low defense to uh, sort of hold the line as it were I mean yes they're probably end up being behind the Numenorians, but uh, spearing them and stuff but I just thought this is a bit risky and Gildor if if for example one of those assassination missions comes up or um, the other one there's assassination law, uh, uh, fog of war Gildor is just going to be in so much trouble so I, I've decided to di- ditch that idea as much as I think it's possible it could be a good list but it's just I don't know it's a bit unreliable I think the next thing I came up with was to do with the twins so this is uh, uh, Aladdin and Elra here and this list came up to 18 models so uh, four models less but I had not not got any wood elves here so um, worth noting in the previous one the Noldorins you're forced to take Noldorins rather than normal wood elves so they're a little bit more expensive than you'd probably like them to be uh, for for the low defense anyway so the twins um i i could take a few more elves so i got five elves in that plus the two hero twins which is good for 160 points and then i thought i'd put a captain in there because obviously i've spent a lot more points on the uh the rivendell there and um i don't know about sort of 10 11 i think it is 11 numenorians uh, including a banner uh, banner in the previous list as well and here i was i'm getting down to 18 models but I think this is probably my second choice because this one this one is I don't know there's something about this that the twins although they're on foot and they don't have horses and they don't have armor um two twins with two or three points I think it's three points of might each um they've got potential for some real kicking there um and the captain there being sort of you know the only mounted model uh, hitting power potential there i thought that could be good uh, it's got five elves including an elven bow and three numenorean bowmen as well so it could be okay but there's something just there's something that we really worried me about twins on foot and i, I wondered whether they'd have enough killing power because i think they only have two attacks on foot each yes you'd have lots of might points and you'd have really high ability elves fight six and all that that's good and they've got the striking potential and all these sorts of things but they're just i i don't know i just i didn't i worried about the fact that i'd be relying on the captain for any mounted speed um and yeah so so i kind of thought 
I went with the next one, uh, went with my final decision based on uh, something related to that. So I'll come back to the final decision in a second. Um, but anyway, the other list was a restore, a seal door. And that was 17 models. So one fewer model than the last one. And I like this one a bit more. A restore being 85 points is really good. He's got rewell to wound. He's only got a couple of points of might. Um, so that's annoying. But I, I think this one's really good. So this is probably my um, next favorite list. Um, a fewer Numenorians here, only... Uh, yeah, only about 11 Numenorians plus uh, a sealed door, but a sealed door is really good. A restore is really good, but I was concerned about speed again here because a restore is on foot, and a sealed door on horse being the only person who you, you don't really want to send him off running away to objectives and stuff like that. So I I deferred from that one again, and finally I settled on this list. So Numenorians are kind of taking the back foot here, or certainly they're not the leader. Um, but I've got a captain mounted with armor, shield, and lance. I've got seven warriors with spear and shield. I've got one uh, Numenorean warrior with banner, spear, and shield. And I've got two bowmen's with uh, two bowmen's bowmen with spears. And then, uh, then, and the other um, other warband, we've got Glorfindel on Asphaloth, no armor, mm-hmm. and we've got. An elf, uh, sorry, four elves with shield and spear, and two elves with bow. So in total, we've got four bows, we've got four elves with shield and spear, so we've got that defense six and the spear potential if the defense six isn't very useful, depending on the strength of the opponent. Um, we've got enough Numenorians with spear and shield, seven of them, to sort of, you know, be a bit sort of, I don't know, uh, mix and match and move around and, you know, not necessarily need to be on the front line, etc. So that's good. Um, and we've got the bowmen as well who have the spears, um, which is pretty cool. And then Glorfindel on Asphaloth. So we've got two models here. We've got the captain and Glorfindel who are quick moving. Glorfindel moving 12 is so handy in late game if Asphaloth survives. But of course, we've got Horse Lord to protect me against that. He's also got some killing power. The land, Obviously, the captain has some killing power too. But Glorfindel, I mean, he's not the most killy of heroes. But with Strength 4 and Lord of the West, he should be able to do some damage if he's got it he's also got the resistant to magic uh, the special sort of unbending resolve magic thing if that's uh, required so i feel like this model this one is the lowest of all all the model count armies that i chose 16 compared with the Noldorin uh, and gildor one uh, 22 and i wonder whether i've been influenced a bit too much by the fact that i'm not a massive fan of a sealed or um i don't know why I, i've just Maybe it's just the couple of games that I played with him. I've I've not been that impressed with him yet. I've played against him and he's been absolutely monstrous. So maybe I need to in the slow grow, uh, which you'll hear a couple of episodes, maybe three episodes uh, away. Uh, maybe I should put him into the mix um, as part of the slow grow. But either way, I've not been impressed by him. So the obvious answer was the ones with captains, and the captain led by Glorfindel has got the most killing power. The twins are okay, but pff, I don't know. Uh, and obviously, I did I did briefly consider Gilgalad and uh, Elrond, but they're just too many points. So um, and at least Glorfindel, you can have him without the armor, so he becomes 155 points, which is you know still over a third of the army but you know it feels like a not a massive uh, massive tax compared with Elrond who's like 170 or something like that so that's what I've come with 16 uh, models um you know six of them or seven of them elves including Glorfindel uh, and nine Numenorians including a captain uh, sorry 10 Numenorians including a captain so you know it's not impossible in fact have I just done the maths wrong I think it's yeah 17 models total um so Anyway, that's that's what I think. 
uh, I don't know what you you guys think of this list. I I found this really tricky um, to do. So maybe it's just that I, I I'm not very used to coming up with allies for for this sort of thing. But I think in the scheme of things, I'm quite happy with uh, with the with the list. So with that in mind, we're going to head to the table soon. But first, riddles in the dark. Yeah, it's the time in the podcast where we're meant to do a riddle in the dark. And uh, basically, I completely forgot about it in the last episode. Um, this is usually the bit where I play a clip from the films, uh, The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings movies, uh, and you have to say who speaks next and what they say. But um, we just had such an interesting email from Nathan Kolkman uh, from Australia who sent a message in uh, in episode 65. I read his message out in response to the Riddle in the Dark and he essentially opened a massive can of worms and it's something that I've I've touched on before on uh, YouTube as well on my YouTube channel Battle Games in Middle Earth uh, some live videos where we had this debate um, I think me and Jeremy from the Green Dragon uh, debated it for nearly an hour if not longer during um, a charity 24 hour uh, streamathon I did way back when but essentially he said, I had a topic I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on, and apologies if you've spoken about it previously. 3D printing has taken large parts of my local gaming group by storm, and printing the entire MESBG armies is occurring. Now more people are playing, but conversely not supporting GW. Do you think this is good or bad for the game in the long run? Very simple question. He's done a really good job phrasing this. He needs to get a job in broadcasting because it's a cracking question, and it's absolutely lit the touch paper to an explosion of debate on um, on my emails I mentioned at the start of the podcast 15 15 emails uh, in my inbox uh, at the moment and a couple of them aren't um, related to uh, thingy but uh, still that's a lot 13 emails or thereabouts on um, this particular topic I will delve into this topic in the, uh, the next episode um, but I, I just didn't want it too cluttered and I want to give you a bit more time uh, emailing um, emailing some of your last points in because I think it's just really, really interesting um, What how there's not a massive division actually which has surprised me because in the past when people have uh, brought this sort of topic up there's always been a couple of people who are really really um sort of against 3d printing and i think this is in uh, whether it's just that my uh, listeners are largely gamers rather than um you know hobbyists Uh, i know there are plenty of you who are out there who are painting while doing this but also you know, you're listening probably because you're interested in the game as well. Um, so that might skew the kind of the audience of email inners. So I'm intrigued. And um, basically, of those 13 e- emails, I've scan read a lot of them. They're quite large. Um, but I haven't had many from anyone who really, really thinks that or, you know, even slightly thinks that 3D printing is bad. Um, most people have been a bit more nuanced and maybe that's because uh, it's a nuanced topic that it's a grey area there's always going to be a grey area here but I am really interested in you if you have an opinion essentially that is something along the lines of we really shouldn't be using 3D printing because it's going to kill Games Workshop and also it's illegal or something along those lines which are arguments I've definitely heard before and I'm sure I will hear again um, depending on the person so um, I really want your opinions on this um, and if I want to sort of dig dig deeper if you are one of those people uh, you know there's I I I don't necessarily disagree with that I think it's a perfectly valid argument Um, I'm just interested to see if that argument 
is you know actually held anymore or whether it's maybe been sort of warped a bit by uh, just market forces or by by uh, I don't know whatever reason maybe maybe it's not out there anymore I don't know but uh, either way really interested in your opinion uh, entmootpodcast at gmail dot com um, is the what I want to uh, basically do you think three D printing is going to kill the game um, so I just want to quickly uh, I'm just going to pick a random uh, email one of the shorter ones and this is from Curtis H um, Curtis says long time listener third time writing in really interesting debate on the latest podcast personally I would much rather have the GW models they are in the most part consistent with each other in scale and tone and there is just something quote official about them so starts off quite sort of in favour uh, of, of you know supporting GW models uh, Curtis continues by saying however I do think that 3D printing can and does support the game in the long run. Game of Thrones is an interesting comparison because it's the most pirated program, at least for some time. Yeah, I think it was. It was uh, the most illegally downloaded program in the world at one point. Um, Though the illegal downloading, uh, Curtis continues, says, allowed it to proliferate around the world, exposing it to wider audiences and building the brand and advertising it to potential international broadcasters. So... Yes, it was illegally downloaded, but the brand was and is still quite big. So, um, similarly, similarly, Curtis continues, since the whole MESBG range is not economical for GW to sell, which well, I, one can only assume that's the case, uh, or maybe they just don't have the capacity to uh, to sell it at the scale that they want to. Um, similarly, since the whole MESBG range is not economical for GW to sell, 3D printing fills the gaps and exposes it to new players who might be put off by an incomplete range or by steep prices offered by GW. This inevitably leads them to supporting the hobby, whether that's from topping up their collection with GW models supporting their local game gaming store by buying hobby supplies, playing in store, or simply getting other people involved in the game, who then, of course, may support Games Workshop models. Personally, says Curtis, I will continue to use only use 3D printing to fill gaps or provide extra shields, but I do think 3D printing has contributed to the revival and survival of the game. Keep up the podcast and good luck in your new role. Thanks, Curtis. Yeah, a few people have been nice about my new role. Thank you very much. Uh, I mentioned it in the last podcast. Um, Curtis, thanks very much for that. So that's that's one of the people who've gone in touch. Um, there, he's one of the th- 13, as I mentioned, who did get in touch about this uh, subject. I'm very keen on your opinions. I might have to truncate some of them um, or, or chop them down because, as I say, there's over a dozen. Um, but I'm definitely interested in if you if you think 3D printing is killing the, the game because maybe that's maybe based on what I've seen in the inbox, 3D printing is good for the game. Um, just from what you have all said in the inbox, uh, I, but I do think it's definitely a great area. Um, I know Michael is one of the people who's a little bit more skeptical. Uh, Michael, get to your email next time. Um, uh, Tim very much in favour. Uh, other people are very much in favour of it. So uh, very interested. Anyway, uh, let's delve into the rest of the inbox because there are some non three D printing um, messages in there. So I'll clear them out and we'll move on to three D printing fully in the next uh, podcast. So Matt Hudson's been in touch. He says, "I just thought I'd message you as you asked to know how our Slogo League went. You may remember this, guys, um, from the last uh, a couple of emails, a couple of podcasts ago. Um, Matt got in touch asking me for the rules um, for my um, uh, 
uh, for my uh, slow grow league that I ran ages ago. I'm basically in an annual slow grow league in Lincoln now, which starts at sort of either 400 points or 200 points and climbs up by either 100 or 200 points uh, every few weeks. And so he said, uh, Matt says, if you remember, I put you on the spot asking you for the rules for yours during a podcast. We had 12 people overall with two dropping out, which is probably to be expected. Yeah, actually, two two dropping out out of 12 is pretty good. Um, I think we ended up having like three or four dropping out out of the similar number from the start. But we had, the crucial thing is, you've, you've kept 10 people playing the hobby, um, which means the next time you'll get 10 people, maybe you'll get another six joining in. Uh, I think the current Slogo League in Lincoln is something like 30 or thereabouts, which is amazing. Uh, anyway, um, two dropping, which is probably to be expected. We finished in December and had a live final for the last round of games, even though Matteo had won with games in hand. I've attacked some pitch but we have at least another 12 for the next season in March and we've also got a group where we play regular friendlies so pretty decent so thanks for trying to reel off your rules live thanks Matt and he sent me some pictures uh, which include a shot of a Stella a beer on the table there's another shot of Bira Moretti on a gaming table uh, I can see why people are really coming down to play your league Matt <laughs> it's fantastic lots of beautiful scenery trees uh, uh, there's a, someone who's got what looks to me like a uh, a big old um, trebuchet which I'm very much in favour of there's a nice uh, uh, picture of uh, someone I assume is Matt shaking hands and handing over the first place certificate to Matteo there which is really cool there's another one with uh, a guy with a majestic beard and some cool glasses who's got the best painted awards looks like it says John uh, and then there's a, a couple of great shots of the uh, of the venue there um, with beers all on the table, people having a great time and your Slow Grow League looking fabulous. So Matt, uh, thank you very much for getting in touch and sharing that. I, I I do appreciate it and I think Slow Grows are the way forward. If you don't know anyone in your local area playing the game, get a Slow Grow organised. Just, just and you know, utilise your gaming shop. They want to sell the toys, you want to play with the toys, other people also want to play games with the toys get a slow grow league going all you need is about six people and you're off it's fantastic so there you go thank you very much uh, i'd highly encourage a slow grow uh, now let's carry on with uh, this one don has been in touch don says thank you oh sorry he says hi there first thanks for your entertaining and interesting podcast well thank you for listening i'm a veteran of board games and board war games but your fabulous stories of middle earth adventure have inspired me to acquire some painted figures and books of rules and army lists for mesbg Excellent. I'm really glad for that. Question. Here's the big question. Here's the kicker. I'm 58, he says. Is that too old to play tourneys? Best wishes for a happy and successful year ahead, Don. Absolutely not, is the short answer, Don. Uh, I don't know where you're based, whether you're based in the UK or America or or whatever, but um, there are plenty of gamers who are let's call it veterans, <laughs> veteran gamers, who I've come across both from America um, and from here in the UK. And I assume that's also the case around the world. I wouldn't want to presume people's ages, but I know just off the top of my head that there's a, a couple of people, including uh, Michael Haskell, who's my doubles partner, who's in his 50s. There's a guy called Crispin, far brother, who uh, I play fairly often um or he sort of appears at tournaments anyway he's in his 50s um he turns up to lots of the warhammer world events in um nottingham and and around the country along with his uh, his son callum and uh, uh, her and callum's wife katrina so uh yeah it's um 
Uh, 58. Oh, and there's Tim Hickson from America, who is in his 50s, I think. Um, I, I'm not 100. I'm, I'm probably going to offend everyone here by saying everyone's in their 50s, but uh, at least you're in your 50s. There's plenty of people who love Lord of the Rings um, in their 50s. And the game is fantastic. Why shouldn't you? I'm 29, but there's plenty of people who are in their early 20s. There's plenty of people in their 30s, 40s, 50s who are playing it. The short answer is absolutely not. I'd highly encourage it. You'll meet lots of people who, um, A, don't care how old you are, and B, have a hobby that they want to share with you regardless of your age. So uh, absolutely come come along. Let me know where you're based and uh, join the Great British Hobbit League on Facebook if you're in the UK and um, if and there's tournaments everywhere. So just, just come along and if we meet at a, t- a tournament, I'd gladly shake your hand, uh, buy you a beer and we can uh, have a good game of, of Toy Soldiers. So... Thank you very much for getting in touch, Don, and thanks for listening to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, now, finally, um, so this is why I wanted to get through a few different uh, topics in this one because it feels like it's been a long email segment already. But this is, the, I thought this is this is something I mentioned a few times in the past few podcasts. Um, I think because I've basically been tearing my hair out trying to balance the the number of models in my army uh, with the heroes. So this is about my Numenorean uh, army in particular, um, and Geordie has been in touch. And this is Geordie from the uh, Two Towers uh, podcast, um, which is uh, which I think we featured on our podcast. Well, I don't know when, but anyway, a while ago now. Uh, and I, I chatted to him about thing about you know his intention to start a podcast with Albert, uh, where they do something similar to me in Australia, which is really cool. So uh, check them out, um, and they do a lot more hobby stuff as well, which is really cool. And it's you know because it's not just them one of them chatting like i am now to you um it's sort of uh, it, it has a bit more banter and things like that which is always good so uh, geordie uh, has gotten in touch he says geordie here and i thought i just thought i might chime in on some of the comments you made in the last couple of podcasts you mentioned that in not utilizing your whole warband space you might have been doing something wrong and i just thought i'd hit you with some counterpoints as someone who often leaves swathes of warband space at home so so this was this was basically because I was concerned that by having Elendil at 18 uh, models in his warband and Isildur with 15 and then only putting, say, 10 models in each, was I doing something wrong? And I kind of think, probably. But we'll get, we'll get on to uh, uh, Geordie's counterpoint here because he says there are lists where there's exceptions to all of this, mainly horde lists. Um, so yeah, your Goblin Town, your um, Ruffians, whatever. But this may also be influenced by the fact that Australian tournaments strive for forty percent plus terrain coverage. Okay, so so this is this has got a lot of lists, basically a lot of uh, points here to make. So he says, essentially, if you've got uh, fewer models in your warbands, you get a higher might pool on average. More might allows for far more proactive plays like heroic combats into key targets, banners, etc. Strike and combat combos to snipe heroes and so on. Early pressure can translate to a snowball later in the game. So yeah, fair point. If you if you utilize your extra might effectively, um, then you or your sort of big heroes effectively, then you can whittle down the troops and yeah and level the playing field early on which i think that makes sense ellen dill's certainly good at that uh then the next point is heroes can do what troops can't on board pretty obvious obvious but let me roll with it he says troops struggle against defended obstacles troops can't hurt combat through a front line to tag spear or pike support uh troops can't just leroy leroy jenkins a key model and live to survive the turn after being surrounded by 15 enemies okay yeah 
fair enough. Um, I, I like Leroy Jenkins' reference. So yeah, that's a that's a fair point. So uh, heroes are just better, obviously. Um, next point: heroes provide denser points placements. Kind of the real crux to my argument. Essentially, the difference between ten and twenty troop models is a negligible in five-inch choke points. Pikes, of course, are the exception. But nine troops and a hero works at a far higher efficiency. So for some armies like Numenor, troops are there entirely to take space and buy time for the hitters. Having an extra hitter but less bodies allows for quicker mop-up, meaning that you can afford lower numbers as they need to buy less time anyways. So this is interesting. Um, So I guess the argument here is that you need to use the gaps and the terrain, uh, as Geordie said at the start, 40% plus in Australia often, uh, to your advantage to make sure you defend that point with your warriors and smash through with the heroes. I guess that makes sense. And he says, lastly, rounding back to points density, having more heroes and less troops means you can capitalise on those small three or four inch choke points and screen with entirely higher fight heroes, unless the opponent has better heroes, of course, that's rarely the case with Ellen on the field, uh, meaning your troops can hold back from dying for some extra turns. Thanks for listening to my TED talk, he says. In conclusion, having a higher percentage of your army being heroes that tr- uh, higher percentage of your army being heroes than troops isn't innately bad. It is a balancing act and is list-specific. Elendil Numenor, well, Numenor in general, is not a troop-based army, so I think your list is quite good, all things considered. So that, I, I don't know which list that would have been referring to, but I think it was probably the one that had the lower, uh, the, the sealed or and... Um, no, Elendil and the captain at... I don't know which one it would have been response to. So, interesting though, I, I think I think that's an interesting discussion and one that I'm keen to continue um, because uh, in my next sort of uh, list, which I've submitted for uh, the uh, Seventh City Collectibles Grand Prix, I have completely maxed out my warbands and... I don't know whether that's the right thing to have done. So here we go. Let's uh, let's crack on with the rest of the tournament. So uh, just a reminder, uh, we're not doing another Riddle in the Dark this time. I will I will return with that because I know people like it. Uh, it will come back in a couple of episodes time once we've um, sort of cleared out the the subject of 3D printing. But it's just it's clearly uh, lit a fire under your uh, your bums. So I'm excited to hear more opinions about 3D printing. Is it killing the game? get in touch entmootpodcast at gmail.com and particularly keen on if you uh, basically if you think that it is killing the game great let's crack on and head to the tabletops for the fellowship of Grantham here Mr Robo where are you off to stop I'm already late late for what I'm going on an adventure <laughs> Round one uh, of the Fellowship of Grantham, and um, we, we return to a, a, a previous uh, podcast favourite, uh, Aidan Lummer, who I think in the, the last tournament, which was run in this area uh, in Molten Mowbray, was the uh, Cumsum Heights. We both played together, and it, that time you had Glorfindel uh, and I didn't. Uh, so it's a bit of the tables have turned, but has that affected the game? We're playing Hold Ground. First of all, just give us an idea of what you've got in your uh, army. Uh, so it's a Borders of the Shire list, so it's Aragorn Strider with Horse and Bow, uh, Eight Dunedain, and then Farmer Maggot. And of course, his little dogs as well. So, um, first of all, Hold Ground Maelstrom means that you know we don't know where we're going to end up. I spent a bit of might because I've won the priority, so the, the Glorfindel spent a f- uh, point of might to come on the... Uh, uh, on, on the same board edge as, you, uh, as the rest of my army 
but of course you didn't turn up on the first turn so that that was a waste of my at the start but it's all about getting to the middle what what did you think your uh, chances were i guess so after the first couple of turns and the shooting went very well for the first two turns it was two Numenorians and then all three fate and a wound off glorfindel just by shooting i was feeling pretty confident and then as soon as the lines clashed and I, lo- I lost all the Dunedain in two turns of combat, yeah. it, it went badly very quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I also spe- I spent the one might for Glorfindel to come on the board and another might to um, to f- pass a fate, fate roll to keep Asphaloth in the game. I, I don't often spend three points of fate to save a horse as well as a point of might. Do you think that was the right decision? Uh, yeah, absolutely. When you've got a fight seven beat stick like Glorfindel, keeping him on a 12-inch horse is... It's definitely the right move. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'd worried that I'd overcommitted with my might because with Aragorn, his free might, with the amount of might that you had on the board. But I, 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 the, the logic in my head was that you've got so much might that I'm going to be out of, you know, sort of, I'm going to have the uh, might disadvantage from, from the very early game. So I need to have advantages in other ways. And having, a, as you say, a 12 inch range horse, uh, super fast moving, and, and of course the knockdowns really is important in, in this game. And Glorfindel and, and the captain absolutely tore through those Dunedain. Yeah, absolutely. I think you played it very well, just using them to beat down the, the Dunedain rather than going into Aragorn, where they probably would have stalled a little bit. Um, yeah, um, yeah, you played it very well. It's fair to say Aragorn didn't have the best game. I mean, I got a shot in early early on and knocked him off his horse. Three wounds on his horse. You uh, quite probably wisely uh, decided not to um, not to spend all three of your horse lord just to protect those wounds. Um, do you think that was the right move? Um, I, I think so. I mean, it, when I'm against a mounted model, I don't suppose being on foot is, is as bad if I can surround him with other dudes to stop you getting your bigger base into me. Um, but uh, ultimately, the game didn't last long enough for them to draw clash swords. So uh, Yeah, I, yeah I, he, he had some terrible luck. I mean, there was, I think, one turn you, you caught a heroic combat and you spent, I think it was, was it two or three points of might just to, to get the heroic... Uh, win the fight then to wound and then to bounce off someone else it was it was a pretty disastrous turn yeah it was going very well at the start with I think with, with the shooting and then yeah Aragorn two might just to win the combat and then another might to kill it going into the other guy and then not being able to to even win that fight um yeah. I know he, ha- he doesn't have the pointy sword of doom but even so strength four Aragorn going up against uh, you know elves or or Numenorians you should you, you're right he should be chopping through them with, with relative ease. Yeah, I, I was hoping that Aragorn would be able to just kill two or three and then combat into the middle and then just try and hold that for the rest of the game, but uh, unfortunately not. Such is life. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd left four of my bowmen uh, at the back sort of peppering away at the spear supports and moving in steadily and crucially holding the line. And I think it might have helped. The fact that I got onto the board first, you had a turn, turn late and you, you were shooting as well, just meant that I could go over the middle and then attack you basically outside of the the central objective which meant that you kind of had to crack through my line in order to to grab that uh, crucial objective which i think was probably um the the reason i've ended up winning um but also as i say aragorn not really doing the business was uh, was a bit of a bit of a deciding factor as well well so aiden last time you had glorfindel you won uh, against me this time it's an 11-1 win for glorfindel and the numenorians and i must say as you quite rightly pointed out there was a period in this game when i thought it was going to go terribly wrong uh, for me but just managed to squeak that that glorfindel and captain combo into the uh, into the dunedain line and they fell apart so um uh, an 11-1 win on hold ground. Uh, best of luck for the rest of the tournament. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
So round two at the Fellowship of Grantham, playing against Aaron Pullen in round two uh, in a game of recon. Aaron, we've played a few times in the past. It always seems to have been about half and half, or you probably had the, the best of it over, over the course of it, actually. But uh, you've got a sort of new project since we last spoke. Uh, what's your what's your big army at the moment? So um, I've gone with my hood, but not the traditional. I've gone with all-mounted uh, camels. Um, mm. And particularly in this list, I've uh, allied in Sullivan. Uh, with a couple of raiders but mainly it's uh, the camels yeah it's all about the camels how many camels you got it's like 10 or something yeah that's right 10 camels all equipped with um, blowpipes and war spears so yeah they're quite nasty uh, on the charge obviously yeah, yeah. and the king king also with the same war with the war spear the blowpipe and oh, has he got the blowpipe actually uh, no no blowpipe on the king but either way three attacks with the impaler hits all that sort of stuff playing recon against an all mounted um, army is always going to be a tricky one did you fancy chances in this one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes, I did. Um, my only big concern was uh, Glorfindel of yours. Um, and maybe, you know, you had some fight five in there, but... I thought we've all mounted. I, I should be fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think, I th and I think that's a, probably a safe bet. Um, as it deployed out, though, um, basically the, there's quite a lot of terrain. It kind of almost forced us both into the middle because of the way there's sort of a lot of scattering around the edges of the the map. So kind of it channeled us a bit into the middle, and you were a, a bit wary of my four bows. So you, you approached it relatively cautiously. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, there. That's very fair. I mean, um, this is a low points tournament, uh, four, two, three points. So even losing one model, especially on my faction, you know, a camel, that's 18, 19 points gone, you know, even from one bow. So I've got to be very cautious of bows, even though they've, you know, only four. Yeah, and, and, and the first the first round of shooting I, was pretty good. I got um, a serpent rider off his horse. He then uh, killed himself by falling off uh, into the dust on the, the roll of a one. And I killed a camel as well. So that's like nearly 30 points got well over 30 points gone in the first first round so understandably cautious especially about your heroes but crucially here you're evil i'm good so you need to get into combat and that's exactly what the camels wanted to do and they did and your king in particular did some nasty stuff that first turn well it's funny you say yeah the king did some nasty stuff but he paid for it yeah so basically i got the roll off on the charge as you would expect for a uh, mounted camel list so the king goes in first um, and he goes through three guys just with impaler hits yeah. which uh, was very impressive but by doing that it left him out of combat um, and out on his own as such mm. yeah so I, I counter charge with uh, everything that I had not was anything that wasn't uh, engaged none of the other camels managed to kill anything I rem if I remember rightly maybe one um, so I had the opportunity to send the captain Glorfindel uh, a Numenorean guy with a spear in support onto your uh, your dude um, so big potential nasty combat uh, against those guys so so i guess you you had you had a couple of choices there I, you didn't have any counter charges because you'd already gone so you went went for the shooting some uh, some shots into combat try and whittle down maybe my horse maybe uh, maybe some of the dudes uh, yeah that's right um, i had two options i could either sit there not shoot into combat and just strike up um, even though Glorfindel, you know, fight seven, Elven Blade, the odds are not in my favour, so I thought, ah, oh, come on then, we'll have a few shots. And guess what? Yeah. <laughs> they all hit the king. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Takes him off the camel. And yeah. yeah. Um, so, so then he can't heroic strike. If you, if you, unless you roll a six, you can't uh, heroic strike or do anything else. So camel's in trouble. Uh, he's got two points of might on the on the thing, but basically he goes down in the first turn. And not many of the other combats go your way either. I think I I killed maybe one of the maybe two of the camels, but and you killed maybe two Numenorians. So it wasn't a particularly bloody bloodthirsty turn uh, in the combats for you. But it started swinging my way decisively once I'd killed that. But of course, um, 
there's there's game end conditions and, and objectives to, to play for, and that, and that I think was what won out the day for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I can't remember, but I did put a wound on Glorfindel. It was either a blowpipe or an impact I think hit. it's an impact hit, so you impaled both the horse and the rider at the same time. And I elected to spend the fate on the to save the horse, uh, but not to save the rider. Because in, in my wisdom, uh, <coughs> which we'll reveal a bit more about in a second, in my wisdom I thought, well, I want to save the horse because I want to keep him fighting. But he's my leader, so I took a wound on my leader. Yeah, it's understandable, but I think, yeah, you should have took the fate. You know, it's VPs there. Um, but Glorfindel Mounted is an absolute beast, so I understand why you mm. did what you did. But I think it might have cost you. Yeah, it, it definitely did. So as, as the game panned out, Glorfindel and the captain did do a hell of a lot of work. They churned through camel after camel after camel rider, and um, the rest of my... my uh, bows were kind of really threatening to stop you from being able to sort of wander off the side you know your serpent riders there were a couple of them ready to go off the board uh, or sort of aiming towards going off the board but uh, the threat of those four bows kind of brought brought them back into the fray or brought the other one back into the fray and um, so I wasn't too worried about the recall element um, and I think I, I was I was quite happy I was proud of doing that so I thought right okay now I just need to kill you problem is um, I'd lost the VP and Suladan's safe behind the line so it, Basically, by trying to break you, uh, I was, or, or sort of end the game and kill you and get, get it down to quarter, I was kind of shooting myself in the foot because you were already ahead on VPs. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I knew, like, obviously, I was broken before you. I thought, right, I need to break you, which uh, was doable, and I did. And now I just need to protect Sullivan and make sure you don't get any troops off the board. At that stage, we were still fighting in the centre, so it's going to be turn after turn before Harry gets any off the off the board. Yeah, exactly. And it was it was just it was a matter of time and um, before uh, either either one of your. You could have ran your camels away, basically, because uh, they've got such low courage that, that, you know, if you take a courage check, they're going to run. So I had basically, I think it was about two turns of chances against uh, Suladan. I called a heroic combat with Glorfindel to try and try and get into him. Uh, you, you'd struck up uh, using your last point of might. I went in for the charge anyway, knowing that if I kill uh, or wound Suladan, it essentially wins me the game. And, you know, if you win against me, yeah, you might wound Glorfindel, but it's unlikely you kill him. So I thought that's probably a safe bet. At this point, I had two points or one, one or two points of fate left. So I thought that was the first chance. Uh, you struck, but you only got the one on the strike, so you failed there, which was which was great for me. But I failed to, to wound Suladan in that uh, oh no I got I got one wound and you fated it that's right uh, and then that was it and then the second turn um, you, you won priority and you managed to pin Glorfindel down Suladan uh, basically had a chance to run off uh, out of range of everyone else for charging uh, except the captain and there was a choice I could charge with my captain who has two attacks um, or I could shoot at you with four, bow, uh, four bows and I elected to go for, for the bows do you think that was the right choice? I think so, yes. Considering Sullivan don't have any uh, fate left, you know, he's only defence five, you need him fives to wound him. I know you've got you've got to hit, then there's the uh, in the way up or down, or, you know, hitting yeah, the horse yeah. or, or Sullivan. But if you went into combat, I've got three dice and a banner, so that's four dice, so this is your two dice. Yeah. Um, so I think you made the right option. Yeah, and I'm still strength four on the, the captain, so even if I won... It was still going to be fives to win. Yeah, I could hit the. I could. I choose to hit you, so I guess it's slightly different. But uh, as it happened, rolled the four dice for the for the bows. All of them hit. Fantastic. We rolled one at a time. One hits the horse. Doesn't do anything. Another hits the horse. Doesn't do anything. Another hits the rider. Doesn't do anything. And the final one, 
doesn't hit uh, the uh, the rider. So uh, Suladan scraped through, and then the next turn you managed to get him pretty much out of out of dodge, and uh, the uh, the game pretty much ended there because you you ran someone away or something like that. Uh, so that was it. So quarter. So they ended up with a two-one loss. Nobody ran off the board. Uh, Suladan would eventually get there, I guess, uh, but. The, the game was quartered, end of turn, 2-1 uh, victory. And largely, as you said earlier, because I, if I'd have fated that um, Glorfindel wound, I still have one fate left, so I definitely could have done it. Uh, you know, 50-50 chance, it would have ended up being a draw, and I guess we'd have played those last few turns very differently. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you fated that, um, it would have gone down to a draw, or some of us might have played a little bit different, but yeah. I, I think overall it would have been the kind of the same sort of outcome. Yeah, a draw it, or a win. Yeah, um, yeah I guess I, th- I think it would have, would have probably been a draw um, if, if I'd have st- staved off that thing. I might have played it slightly differently, but probably not. So, uh, Aaron, fantastic work. I mean, you, you had some pretty unlucky roles in terms of, uh, you know, shooting your Mahud King off the hall, uh, off the camel and, and your, your impales and, and your charges didn't go particularly well either. But, crucially, you played to the objective I didn't, uh, and that's why you come out with a 2-1 win. Well done. Oh, thank you, Harry. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for talking again. Cheers. Game number three of the Fellowship of Grantham, and uh, we've got retrieval to play, so that's capture the flag, essentially, uh, playing against Joe Langley, and we've never played before, have we, Joe? So, so uh, first out, and it, it, you're not fresh to events. This is sort of one of your third or fourth, is that right? Or Yeah, I think it's my second GBHL one. I've played a few local tournaments, so, yeah, only about four or five, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, really enjoying it so far. Really enjoying it, excellent. And so what have you brought? Uh, it's an unusual points value and you have to have a Green Alliance. What have you brought? Yeah, four two three Green Alliance, uh, Aemir and Haldir, Rohan LaFlorian list. Uh, Aemir's my leader, uh, pretty much fully kitted out, uh, and Haldir's just his heavy armoured Helm's Deep version. Yeah, and so you've got a, a couple more models than me, but obviously you've got some riders um, and you've got the Royal Guard dudes. So not not sort of overwhelming numbers here but you've got a slight advantage what what, what was your game plan going into this with uh, with a slight advantage and, and, and particularly in, in shooting uh, well I wasn't too confident in the shooting to be honest so it was more just trying to spread you out using the cav I put a couple of cav on one side a couple of cav on the other um, and basically just go where Glorfindel wasn't because um, mm-hmm. he's, he's too fast to keep up with he's too strong any of my heroes could deal with him um, AMO was burning might just to win fights against elves, mm. so uh, I didn't want anything to do with him. So it was a case of find whatever you were, you know, whatever side you were focusing on, and go the other way with a bit of speed. But um, as, yeah. yeah, it was an interesting first couple of turns because those first couple of turns there was a lot of you was trying to skirmish with your bows and we were trying to both get kind of the upper hand on by by whittling away at each other. I think uh, we probably spent an awful lot of time doing that, which may may well have been uh, to both of our downfalls in some way because we didn't really move the objectives that far. And um, but so I think I managed to take like a rider off the first turn with shooting, and then I managed to whick, uh, whittle off a might and a fate off AMA with shooting, and and you killed like one Numenorian eventually with your shooting and so it was all it was all lots of toing and froing around this ruin in the center but as it develops uh, basically the you, you didn't quite realize that or you forgot that uh, Glorfindel has a 12 inch range so I kind of launched him into a, a rider of Rohan on one side and committed towards Haldir's flank while Aemir and his riders were scattering around uh, one flank but and I sort of, sort of wondered whether that was going to be a mistake because I try I wanted to try and crack through and send Glorfindel off to grab the objective um, but leaving Aemir against um, some Numenorians and Elves is always a pot- potential problem. But I, I, what were the chances the, this, this dice roll happening? So you, you, you're charging with Aemir. Just explain what happened here, Joe, because it was ridiculous. Uh, right, so Aemir charged in on two High Elves. Uh, they had Numenorian spear supports. So I think it was four dice on four, because I was on the charge. 
Uh, I decided to strike because I needed to win the fight because otherwise I was going to get trapped. Um, so it's his last point of might to strike, and I rolled four ones, which is approximately one in thirteen hundred. Um, I, I, I saw it and I, I, I kind of glanced at you know you do the yeah. double take. I glanced at you and glanced down. And I was like, what? I, yeah, I couldn't believe it. It was. Um, it, I, I think looking at the scenario points, looking at the score, I think it, that was the dice roll that swung the game in your favour, definitely. Mm. Um, I think we would have played out to a draw, um, mainly because we spent half an hour before actually getting into combat, I think. So it would have been a draw, I think. But uh, yeah, AMA let me down at the end there. But. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there. The Because uh, if he'd have won that fight, he'd have killed, you know, probably one or two at least of those that, that front rank of spears. Uh, then there wouldn't be any of those spears left, and there'd be quite a lot fewer that I could eventually send back towards the defending my objective from one your single rider of Rohan which which ju- was just enough to to uh, to pip it in the end for me but but that that one thing I think maybe maybe right you, you sort of suggested there that we'd sort of fannied around a lot in the early stages and I do wonder whether you were just a little cautious at sending your cav in um, and I know probably because of Glorfindel is that is that the reason you were cautious with those guys uh, well it's tough you know Rohan no spear supports if I send in those riders obviously they're going to be going ahead of my infantry block I've got a very small infantry block anyway, and it's a case of I'm charging into two units that have, A, you know, they're all wounding me on fives, and B, they've always got the fight value. Mm. Um, so it's always going to be sort of two dice on two. You've got the fight value, uh, and you're more likely to wound. So it's a case of uh, trying to find the right time to do it. I was I was very careful with one ride. I kept him safe. I knew he was going to be my objective grabber, but uh, unfortunately, because Amir was uh, held up, he wasn't in range of the stand fast and he fled right at the end for me so yeah. there you go yeah that that rider running away was a, a bit annoying because that dropped it from one vp to you to to three uh, sorry it's from three vps to one for you because you only moved the objective in the end but yeah you're right i mean and, and I, I think overly uh, overall i think I, I kind of squeezed some advantage out of the uh, the glorfindel potential the 12 inch uh, heroic combat and all that sort of stuff a couple of heroic combats are called dragged a bit of might out of Haldir, a bit of might out of uh, AMR who wanted to move away and all those sorts of things. So I think that, that really played my advantage and actually my objective really, although I was kind of doing it because I knew, thought, oh, maybe I could get Haldir as well. But really I wanted to hurry combat out and get to that objective with the 12-inch move, which is exactly what happened in the end. He's just about uh, about on the halfway line. He just had, his, uh, had Asphalof killed from underneath him, but he's still got the objective. So I get the three for that. Uh, you got the one for moving your objective. Uh, and then the final points were... Uh, you broke uh, sorry I broke you but um, one model away one model away one model which was very very close you know a couple of swings uh, one way or the other and particularly uh, if uh, AMR had taken that um, ridiculous dice roll uh, you know then it would have been would have been fine but either way um, Joe it was a cracker of a game lots of tactical gameplay early on really enjoyed it best of luck in your uh, your next couple of games yes cheers mate and to you I loved it great game thank you round number four Breakthrough we're playing. Uh, I've got my Numenor and my Elves uh, playing against Tim Elwes, uh, formerly of this podcast fame. Plenty of times you've been formally, on. Formerly, yeah, you've been, been de- <laughs> you've been demoted. No, no. Uh, and first of all, Tim, you've been on a few times and you've been experimenting with this sort of list uh, with your pajama elves before. But you've got some exciting new things to join the fray. What, what have you brought for your? What is it? Four hundred twenty points or four hundred twenty-three? Or yeah, I keep getting that wrong. I'm four points under actually. I'm four hundred nineteen because I didn't have time to model any bows for any these Rohan you could have put four shields on no because shields are for wimps we've gone for full dudes here today I've got my pajama elves collection including Haldir in his pajamas um, and we brought Grimbold and some Helmingers with him they've all been given uh, spears throwing spears Uh, none of them have shields so we are a 
almost full army of throwing weapons, uh, 22 throwing daggers or throwing axes um, and bows on two out of the three heroes, so lots of shoot. And a bit of spice, you've brought Haleth, son of Hammer, with you. Yes, although uh, he's not been very exciting. He's been moderately exciting. It was a toss-up between borrowing Haleth because I didn't have time to paint one. Uh, I, didn't have, I wasn't going to go and buy one and then paint one. Or bringing a sentinel, which I also couldn't be bothered to, to paint. <laughs> well, you could, have, you could have glued a harp to something, I'd have thought. But, it's uh, a little bit themey as well, because uh, I'm taking a, a modified version of this list later on in the season with Hammer. So Hammer and Haleth, Father, Son. Yeah little bit exciting very nice very nice and uh, as you mentioned you've got lots of throwing weapons very low defense army nothing higher than defense five i think is it you, uh, uh, or, uh, with the exception of grimbold everything is defense four or lower yeah so very low stuff but lots of throwing weapons lots of stuff and this uh, scenario breakthrough this re- it starts in the middle line so it, i i think that helps you out a bit what did you think going into this against the the numenor and rivendell combo uh, I have found that if you find something with defense 5 and go for it with the throwing weapons, it's very effective. Anything you've got to get a 6 isn't very effective. Uh, I know from previous games that the Numenor spearmen are the weak point, uh, and I had to go for it, so I burned most of my might getting move-offs to keep throwing the weapons. Kind of like, a f- almost like a Rohan cav. You've got to keep attacking to get the mm. benefits. I have to keep doing that with this. Uh, it was very much a case of if I was getting the move, stuff was dying. If I wasn't, stuff of mine was dying because there's no halfway house. Lots of stuff died each turn, whether it was yours or mine. So lots of death on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so. It's worth noting there's this big sort of hill thing in the middle, which was difficult terrain. It's got kind of campfirey type uh, objectives with ruins scattered around it, and that's blocking the middle. And this is breakthrough where you've got uh, an objective in your um, sort of 12 inches from your table edge, which is worth one point at the end of the game, uh, and there's an objective on the opposite side which is worth four and there are two on the middle line uh, sort of equidistant from the middle which are worth two each and I kind of deployed on the left around this massive hillock thing basically going I'm going to get that left objective and crack through to the um, through to your side hopefully at some point what, what was your game plan here was it literally just crack on try and get rid of the, the spears or did you have something more nuanced I, I wanted the objective at the far side every time I've lost this scenario it's because I haven't had the objective at the back side um uh, I'm not really used to playing with such low courage dudes. I played a tournament yesterday where I lost a game because of people fleeing objectives. Um, so it was a little bit risky, but ultimately it's come down to the fact that I've got the big points objective. Mm. Despite spending several turns holding an objective which actually didn't exist in the middle. Yeah, there's like a campfire sort of thing in the middle of the, the uh, this bit of terrain, but it's not actually a, an objective. No. It's just a sort of diamond around around this, this central bit. So yeah, you did have a guy that was fanning around there. I thought he was slowly making his way already. I don't know what, he, what was I thought. So, it was. Slow, in, so slow as to be imperceivably slow. He wasn't actually moving but it was very exciting uh, it's always exciting because none of our characters I think have got any might left which means we've had a good exciting game yeah and I think most of them have taken a wound uh, no Glorfindel hasn't taken any wounds fine. He's, Glorfindel's fine he needs to even st- with all these throwing weapons both he's still on his horse yeah. which is quite he's, cool. he's done very well uh, he hasn't had to spend any uh, fate or anything like that but I think crucially he did have to spend quite a bit of might early on and so did my captain um, which gave you the kind of move advantage which was probably a mistake on my part I probably could have been more cautious with my might to then counter the moves and, and allow for some exciting things at the end. He did get to charge around a tree and, and charge Haldir in the last turn and kill him, uh, which was quite nice, um, and also contest that objective in the end. 
very lucky turn the prior turn because I needed to avoid the death of one guy and there were about six fights one or two of which were definitely not in my favour managed to avoid that and just sort of levelled off and claimed a few extra points to make it a less sort of disastrous uh, loss on my behalf but essentially the problem here was you had so many dudes to crack through with a fight five it was always going to be tricky that I just didn't ever have a chance to push through to crack into the uh, your over objective and this is very exciting for me because this is very much not my usual high heroes, loads of might, don't have any bodies to hold objectives. This is a have lots of bodies and then they run away from the objectives. Yeah. So it achieves the same aim, but uh, yes, a different army style for me for 2023. Yeah, it's exciting. So there you go. Uh, the win came to Tim in the end, which uh, worked out at 6-3. And I think there was a big swing in the last turn. I, I managed to... Uh, if, if things had changed in the previous turn and, and you know the, the luck had landed the right way Glorfindel wouldn't get the kill on Haldir so that would be a lot less points uh, and it would be something like a, a, a slightly one more point I'd be like 7-1 yeah. or something like Either that Either way you know when you've got one model to die to get to the quartering point you're sitting there going oh god I hope someone dies but I hope it's not my chap who's on the objective getting me all the VP so very, very you know, it was a great game yeah. um, and we're over halfway through today's tournament so one, well, one more, one more game we're both riding fairly high so we must be doing something good well yes you're, you certainly are I'm not anymore because I'm going down so it's 6-3 one more game uh, oh yeah sorry it is worth pointing out you, you've got some fantastic early on in the episode we, uh, I think I'm, I've probably read a truncated version of your, uh, your email you were one of the many people who got in touch with the podcast about 3D printing and you've got some beautiful Helmingus these are I think they're Medri miniatures aren't they? They are yes What do you think about this concept of 3D printing basically killing the game in quotes? Well uh, I think the game is far from being killed um, we're running the slow grow in Lincoln we've got 13 new players new to the system um, I've taken a fairly lax attitude to what models people use as long as they're clearly identifiable these are Helmingers I've printed they're clearly and obviously Helmingers um, and there's TO approval for them I, I don't really, you know, you could use cardboard cutouts for all I care to represent models. This is a brilliant game system. I could sell this game system to new players without mentioning Lord of the Rings using any old model. Where the models come from is a secondary of importance to me. I suppose the uh, the counter argument has always been, well, if you don't support the uh, the sort of miniature buying element of it, then maybe we won't get new rules. Ah, uh, well, uh, they don't make rules for Warhammer Fantasy Battle. It's currently enjoying a massive resurgence in Lincoln, using uh, pretty much homebrew rules and a game that's been kept going by the community without. Um, support from a manufacturer and it uses a lot of prints and alternate proxy models and is certainly in a healthier place than it was five or six years ago so I, I don't really see the example if GW made some uh, sensibly priced nicely sculpted Helmingers I would be buying them I'd have no problem with that it's not like I can't afford 10 quid on, on a few models um, but I certainly wouldn't pay 32 quid for two horses and dismounts. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's a fair point uh, from Tim there. Tim, who goes on to uh, game number five uh, with a victory, uh, and I go on. I don't know what uh, what I'm on now. I think I've only won two games, so I've got one to one one to make it the uh, the three and two that I'm looking for. We'll see what happens going into round number five. And here we are at the end of all things. Assassination against Doug. The final game here at the Fellowship of Grantham and Doug. Uh, 
You're one of two people who've got uh, this exact list at this tournament, and I've been eyeing it up over uh, over the tables uh, with Harry, who's the other guy who's brought it. Uh, but Doug, just give us a, give us the big reveal. What have you brought uh, for your 423 points? Uh, I have bought Guajir, I have bought an eagle, and I bought Gandalf. Gandalf on on foot, but you've got three models. Correct. Yes. So how's that been? Uh, before we get into our game, how's it been for the rest of the tournament? I'd imagine quite swingy. Very swingy. Very. Uh mission dependent should we say yeah yeah I can imagine and we've had I'm trying to think now we've had assassination for that one recon I guess you could do okay in that breakthrough probably quite a tricky one for your whole ground also relatively tricky but I, I think so you found yourself what with three wins up to this point uh, yeah, 3-2 I finished the tournament on, so not too bad. Not too bad at all. So it, with that in mind, you, you see, uh, when we start the game, um, you see my army over the, over the table. What did you think? Did you fancy your chances? No, actually, <laughs> no. Not with Glorfindel there. I uh, thought Glorfindel would be a lot harder than he was. Uh, some lucky rolls, I think, certainly changed that game. Yeah, because I suppose I've got the fight seven, I've got strike. But, I mean, Guayher, you, you like to back him in those fights. He's got fight eight. So, I guess it, it really, at this game, because it, it's assassination, it comes down to how well uh, the rest of the army performs. And um, you've, got, you've got to kill my captain. That was uh, chosen uh, without, well, we didn't get a choice. Uh, and you've got to choose him with Gandalf. And I have to do vice versa. So, with I, I think assassination, I think you've got a big advantage here. Um, because you've got... Two big flappy things and some magic. So you can, you can, you, you're very good. Your army is very good at going. I want that thing dead. Whereas mine isn't very good at doing. I want to kill that massive thing hidden, hiding or that big hero hiding behind stuff. Maybe against the troops, I think it's possible. But Glorfindel is the spanner in the uh, in the works potentially. So when it when it sort of started, I, I'd sort of popping some shots off at you and trying to claim some wounds. But really, it was all about when the lines collided and how. How did you think? think that went when they first collided um, I looked at the way the movement was going and I figured that I had to actually be the person to engage the lines so therefore I had to draw back a little bit just as I was ready to pounce and hope that when I pounce I could keep Gandalf safe at the same time as Gandalf goes down quite quickly when he's taken on by more than one person yeah and, and crucially by someone like Glorfindel or a captain Gandalf could die very very quickly but I, so th there was a bit where I had like I moved some spear guys forward kind of as bait um, in the hope that uh, you, your guy here would charge them or the other eagle would charge them uh, and that I might be able to then send off the spears to, to cause, a, cause issues with Gandalf and stuff like that that strategy worked so I, you charged you, you I, I know you were uh, going to charge at some point, but you fell into what I thought was a trap. Uh, it turned out maybe not, not quite like that. But yeah, you charged the, charged the front rank uh, of those guys, thinking those spears behind them are going to support. But instead, those spear guys went around the back, uh, went straight for Gandalf and threatened him, which, which I thought I'd played a good move there. Um, and then I had about sort of four or five dudes that were able to charge the other eagle as well as Glorfindel. And I thought, on balance, I probably... I need to get rid of this eagle at some point. It, it's going to be annoying if not. Is this the best chance to do it? Maybe. I've got the Fight 7. I've got the, uh, the Elven weapon. I've got enough guys that I could do some serious damage to it in the early turns and maybe a bit more cautious with it after that. Sadly, um, it just, I, I decided not to strike, basically. Do you think that was the right move? No, I don't, if I'm honest. I was surprised you didn't strike. Um, but... He didn't know where I was going to throw Guaya here if I won the combat. So, well, exactly. So, so you you had won priority, so you get to choose where everything goes. I, I was thinking, if Guaya here calls her out combat, I'll strike. But if he doesn't, I won't because I think it was about four, 
five inches away, something like that. So I thought if you do barge, you need to get the right thing uh, to, to get Guajir in the combat. So I thought it, I'm, I'm fine with Guajir not there. So it's all about the eagle um, and whether I, I win. And I've got an Elven Blade, so even if everything goes terribly wrong, I've got Lord of the West, I've got my, I've got the Elven Blade, so I've got you know, a higher chance of winning the draw. So I thought that, that, I thought that was all reasonable kind of logic. It just didn't go that way. So Guayhe kills the dudes. Uh, you didn't you didn't move on with a barge, um, but you did just win with the eagle and and win the one and two, and then just launched Glorfindel uh, uh, with his horse through some lines and all caused sort of chaos. Basically, Glorfindel takes a wound or something like that, if, and spends two points of fate, and he's in serious trouble after that. And I think that was pretty pretty decisive. I certainly think that was the the two turns really where Glorfindel began to lose out. Um, the hurl really hurt him, took him off his horse, made him prone. It made it safer for me to get my eagles into combat with the other troops. And yeah, because I lose the fret range particularly. Yeah, exactly. You used the higher fry, you've got my monstrous charge on top of that. It just made that next turn a much smoother turn for me, and your big fret was out of my way for a turn. And, and all, all this time, I'm basically hiding the captain, because I figure if the whole of my army can do, sort of wheedle its way through to Gandalf, do some damage, I keep the captain safe, I can win this game. Um, but that kind of, once Clawfindel fell and, and you know, the next turn you pounced on, uh, on well you kind of um, barged into Glorfindel again and at that point he was, he was toast essentially very, very quickly. So it was, from there it was kind of you just mopping up really, wasn't it? They were like, I, I had quite a lot of chances, if, if the priority landed my way, I, I had quite a lot of chances to engage Gandalf in combat but it just uh, the priority just never quite landed, or, or when it did, you had uh, you had an, enough sort of uh, wherewithal with uh, with uh, Gandalf, or you know he managed to win a few fights against two or three dudes. So it was it was quite a few like small chances of me maybe just squeaking a wound on Gandalf, but in reality it was just a matter of time before your your two eagles mopped up, wasn't it? Yeah, the Eagles made a, a nice defensive barrier, I think, for Gandalf, which is kind of like my plan from the start. And you had Terrifying Aura as well. And Terrifying Aura, which did play its part in the end to keep Gandalf safe. Um, I think chasing your captain around as well also pulled me a little bit away from keeping Gandalf safe. And towards the end, it nearly risked it a little bit for a biscuit. Yeah, you, you actually got quite unlucky against the captain because he, he survived two or three rounds of combat against... Uh, one of the eagles and Guayhair as well at one time. So he, he he was remarkably resilient despite it all. But when you did win the combat, he he went down like a sack of potatoes. So it it was it was a bloodthirsty game. Uh, you did get the win by what was it eleven one in the end was it or is it ten one ten uh, ten ten one or two? Uh, what was it? I've turned the page. Yeah, ten one. And um, so because you did get. Um, you killed your uh, target, but obviously not with Gandalf, which was uh, one of the crucial things. What, what, what do you think I should have done differently here? Because I know, I, I, obviously, I could, it's, with hindsight, it's easy to say strike with Glorfindel, but should I have played everything else differently? No, I don't. I think you hit the Wall of Eagle, mm. backed up by Gandalf. Yeah. Um, I think if you could have maybe brought Glorfindel somehow around that wall whilst that war was engaged um, to get to Gandalf, that may have been the better sort of play. Yeah. Um, and I, I think re realistically, the, the, the only turn I had a chance to do that was probably the middle turn, and he was, he was prone that time. Because I think the first time you charge, you charge with something else, Glorfindel goes, and it just, there wasn't enough room between the two bases to get the, the horse thing. So maybe, after, maybe if I'd have been a bit more cautious the second time on, or more protective of Glorfindel, when he was... Uh, not prone, but sort of on his on his foot. Then, um, then that that 
you, you're right. That, that that would probably have been the only chance to do it. But uh, yeah, he, he was he was kind of vulnerable from then on because I had so few guys left. I did, couldn't really shield him off very well either. Yeah, it was uh, a little bit unfortunate. Uh, you lost some combats, which you probably should have actually won. The dice kind of betrayed you, I think, a little bit. Um, I think. Well, I, I don't. I don't necessarily think that you got to fight eight eagle. I mean, you're going to win most fights, but I, I think I got some. I got some some wins in the right places. Just a couple of crucial combats early on that just meant I was always going to be fighting an uphill battle. So tricky one to end it on. Tricky eagles, and I don't know how well uh, you and the uh, the other eagles have, have done. But you, you see, mentioned that you've got a three out of, three out of five, which is really good. Mm. Yeah, I'm quite pleased with that. Actually. I came with the objective of getting only a couple of wins and just having a bit of fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've lost the scenarios I expected to lose, mm. um, and actually I've won ones I didn't expect to win. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say this. This one, it it could have gone either way, really. But um, yeah, with the with the with the flappy birds, it's not too difficult to jump over my lines and, and assassinate the uh, the captain. So uh, either way, Doug, well done. Uh, three three wins out of five is is pretty solid for just three models. So uh, well done, and uh, thanks for thanks again. Thank you very much. So I'm going to come straight off the back of that chat with uh, Doug by apologising profusely uh, to Doug because I don't think I was. Um, perhaps on top form during our, our game. Um, you heard the reasons why. Poor old Glorfindel. Um, I was probably as salty as a anchovy rolled in rock salt, dipped in soy sauce, and I don't know, thrown in the sea. Uh, because I don't know. I, I just think Glorfindel just really, really went down quickly, and it, maybe it just hurt that little bit too much. After five games, I was exhausted. I felt really tired. Uh, I'd had a few drinks the night before. I drove up. Uh, anyway, so having said all that, Doug was an absolute gentleman. I can't deny it. But I still don't know whether I did the right thing. So I think we we went into it in the um, in the chat with Doug there just a second ago. Anyway, but. A picture of the scene, Glorfindel's fighting one of, is it, I think it was three eagles in total, was it two? It was either two or three eagles and Gandalf. I've got to kill Gandalf. I'm fighting against an eagle who is fight seven. I am also fight seven. I've got to kill an eagle and, you know, and Gandalf at some point. I, I don't I don't know what, what the right move here is. Should I have struck in that first combat against the eagle um, to guarantee the kill? Because my logic was I probably didn't have enough models in there to kill it in one go and Gwai here obviously has points of might to strike with so I'm going to have to counter up to that at some point and then deal with Gandalf who similarly has uh, points of might to strike with so I, 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 I thought I'd made the right move here by going okay Glorfindel's got the Elven Blade so he's got uh, we've got more attacks so we're pretty much guaranteed the six I've got Lord of the West so you know I'm way more likely to get the the six than him on his two dice so um, and even if he does get the six as well Doug gets the six and I get the six um, the chances are because we both fight seven I've got an Elven Blade the likelihood is I'm going to win that fight you know four out of six times so over half the times I don't need to strike I'll just win uh, and then I get to have a few pokes at the eagle. I might get lucky. I think I can't remember exactly how many models I had. Something like I think it was four Numenorians or maybe more. Um, and the four attacks. Uh, sorry, the yeah, the four attacks from Glorfindel because he'd charged. So eight dice, looking for sixes. So you know the chances are I'd probably get maybe one or two wounds. Uh, unlikely to kill it. So I needed to save the might for another time. That's that was my logic. I knew I was far away enough from Guai here that 
Um, he needed a six to barge. So um, Doug, I basically said, right, okay, this is a six to get it. Is that okay, Doug? Yeah, he's like, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. So I was like, you're not going to do that, are you? Surely you're not. And he's like, mm, probably not. So that's fine. And I thought if he had called a heroic combat with Gwai here, then I'd strike, obviously. And that would be fine because it would deter, deter Gwai here from doing the heroic combat and I would still have the strike. So I thought that's the way to do it. Um, but <laughs> having said that, all that went wrong and I lost the combat because um, of the one in three chance of losing it. So obviously 33% chance of losing the combat is a, uh, because of the Elven Blade off. It's it's probably the wrong move. <laughs> what I guess the, 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 the argument here is, should I have spent the might there knowing how big of a swing it would have been if I lost the combat against that elf, uh, that sorry, that eagle, or should I have um, done what I did and go on the balance of probabilities that sixty-six percent of the time I win this, even if by pure chance he does roll a six off his two dice? Um, so I don't know. Um, I think on balance I probably chose the right thing to do, but my God, did he punish me for it? Launching Glorfindel through things off his horse. Uh, wounding him, taking fate, the remaining fate off, all that sort of stuff. You know, those sorts of things made made me wonder whether I'd made the right decision. But having said that, um, Doug was an absolute gentleman, and I, I may have had my sort of unf- not unfair, but I had a, a had a, a rough time of it look wise. But Doug was um, always very understanding, despite despite all that. And uh, you know, and I, as I say, I think I might have been a bit of a bit of a salty loser um so apologies to doug um but also well done to doug on that win a 10-1 win at the end of the uh, the tournament which did him right he got three wins out of five uh for the tournament which is a very solid effort with with such a swingy potential list i think it was guayhead gandalf and another eagle that must be so yeah that'd be around 423 or something like that wouldn't it so there you go and so my win loss ratio not great at this tournament um i got two wins in total uh against uh aiden at the very start of the tournament um his aragorn farmer maggot and the rangers and uh against the um uh, Aemir and Haldir list, um, which which I, I think I was quite happy with. Um, very close loss against Aaron on recon, and that has really peed me off, that one. Um, not because Aaron didn't deserve it, because Aaron definitely deserved to win that one, because he uh, he got very unlucky with his king, shooting the camel out from underneath him. It might not have been the most wise move to shoot the camel out from underneath your own um, king, but... Um, I can sort of see why he did it because he was going to be uh, fighting up against uh, Glorfindel and so many other things. So, so yeah, I can I can totally understand why he did it. But yeah, it was it was unlucky because I think they're armored camels, so he needed a six or something to kill the camel. Um, but anyway, I'm just annoyed about not having taken that fate because um, we mentioned earlier on. Um, it's probably 20, 30 minutes ago now. But um, we basically, if I'd have taken that one fate roll and passed it, I needed so it's a fifty-fifty. I wouldn't have taken that one. Um, wound on the leader which would have made it a draw so uh, that's that's frustrating isn't it but um, having said that I was I was pretty happy with the game against Aaron I think I played it really well um, I don't think Aaron played it badly I just think I, I did what what I could against a very mobile army um, to to counter the the blunt the charge of the the Mahud I, I placed my uh, fight five spears quite quite carefully to make sure that no matter where I where I was hit by a camel I was going to have a good chance of um, having some fight five there to to have a chance of killing them. So, uh, yeah, so that was good, and it also helped that his first charge didn't didn't do as much damage as it could have done, other than the king rolling through a load of stuff. So, yeah, generally quite happy. Um, 
I also played badly against Tim, but you know, Tim is a great player, and now he's got a list that he really likes. It he should be bringing the shields. Uh, I don't know why he doesn't have the shields. This is for the Grimbold list. He's got all his helming gas with no shields. Tim, take the shields. Um, I know you. Don't, I know you keep saying you don't want the shields, and it's 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 great without the shields, and it's cheaper, and all this other stuff. The shields are so much better. Defense five is it's just so much better than defense four, especially against strength four troops like mine. But you know, you get to shield, you get to survive longer if you need to uh, in a game where you you know you don't want to break too quickly to end the game and spread out your guys and stuff like that. It's, shields are just so. In that instance, having one fewer model and everyone having a shield absolutely uh, on Rohan models should you be doing that so that's my opinion and I think a lot of people would probably agree but having said that that was the tournament uh, not my best performance but a great event I love the theme of it the 423 points for the page number of uh, of the the books and also just the fact that green alliance forcing it people to take a green alliance makes for a really surprisingly interesting tournament like you wouldn't it seems like a quite a simple restriction but actually it really changes a lot of people's armies so um rohan and uh, uh, sort of lothlorian making a big appearance there so really interesting to to encounter that i'd love to do an event like this again maybe even at higher points limits so uh hopefully that one comes along at some point but uh, we haven't yet crowned a winner so let's do that but first let's talk to nathan talbot tournament organizer and gentleman extraordinaire so before we uh, depart from uh, the Fellowship of the Grantham, it's only right to talk to Nathan Talbot, the TO. How's it been? This is your this is your first sort of solo TO effort, isn't it? Yes, for, for, for Lord of the Rings, yeah. First, first GBHL event, and uh, yeah, it's been good. Yeah. Nice and calm, no stress. I don't know what all you guys moan about when you run events. <laughs> Everything's gone fine. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I like to think I don't moan, but yeah, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Uh, so, uh, first of all, obviously we've, uh, we've talked it through. You went for a 423-point limit. Mm -hmm. What's all that about? That's weird. That was the page count of the first edition Fellowship of the Ring book, um, and that, that that was the the point. It, it allowed us to force people into making decisions on who they want could and couldn't fit in, what mm. they could do with their army, and it just felt thematic for a fellowship themed event. Yeah, and you squeeze five uh, five games in as well at that points level as well, so it's it, you can get you feel like you get your money's worth. Uh, yes, I think so. I think in, in hindsight, the five feels like a lot on a Sunday. Mm. Um, on a Saturday night, it's much easier because you can go to the pub after and still got Sunday to recover. <laughs> um, but everyone seemed to be in, in good spirits. By the fifth game, no one was really on their knees, miserable. So yeah, it felt felt a good value for money. Yeah, I, I definitely felt tired <laughs> uh, yeah. during the last yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. But I think you will after five games. So, I mean, the other restriction that you've put on this was, which actually, I think when you first hear it, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a, a lot of a restriction. But when you when you put an impose that it has to be green alliances not pure armies not yellow not red it has to be green that actually provides quite a lot of interesting um, sort of lists uh, that I guess people can build what what was the thought thought process behind it and what impact do you think that had uh, so the, the thought process was because the fellowship is about the coming together of what ultimately become very important friends to each other regardless of anything else the green alliance at the low points meant smaller heroes got a chance as well mm. to prove their worth yeah we saw things like gildors and mm -hmm. um you know loads of like, I, I can't think of any others but yeah we, we saw gildors yeah <laughs> um grimbold yeah, yeah and uh, the feedback i got from people when they put the list was that it was a real brain scratcher mm. which is which is always good because it means that people aren't falling into their usual traps or the, all their favorite crutches and whatever they've had to actually think about it and do things different and hopefully it means that they've learned some things about minor heroes that may have in a bigger game maybe they will see even more variety going forward 
Yeah, we saw quite a few sort of unusual. Like, like um, I played Tim, who had Grimbold and Haleth, which is an unusual combo. And I know that you know there was a Hunter Orc list that had uh, two of the Hunter Orc heroes and a, a captain from Gundabad. And uh, I don't know, Steve McDonald brought like a Minas Tirith with Ingold and a Dolanroth uh, contingent as well. So there's there's quite a lot of unusual kind of alliances that you don't often see, and particularly at this points level, because often at 450 you get you know sort of. Uh, Lots of pure armies, like, you know, I don't know, Riders of Third and things like that. Yeah, so uh, drop, um, restricting le- Legendary Legions as well was, mm. was, was, again, to get people thinking beyond that. Um, the variety overall has been really good. Um, a lot of Rohan and Lothlorien, though. Yes, they were. They were. Um, not as many as I feared, um, but uh, and, and I think I think none of them were identical, no. I don't think. So, so still some variety. There was two, two Gandalf, uh, Gwaihir, Eagle lists. Yes, and I played um, one. <laughs> which was... It, 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 it's thematic. It's, it's in the fellowship, so it's, I'm kind of a, it, it works. Um, Escape from Orthanc is a great theme. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't like playing it in the uh, in the game that I played it in, but you know, that's just partially my fault as well. But uh, you're right; it, it did encourage theme in, in some quite quite interesting ways, which which I suppose is is what it's all about, as you say. You know, not just encouraging theme, but encouraging people to take something a little bit different. The one thing I would, uh, I would say: there weren't a lot of evil armies. There was sort of was it a smaller percentage of evil armies that are too good. Yeah, I think I think some of that is certainly something to take on board. Um, so Isengard, for example, don't have any green alliances, mm. and as to, uh, neither do Barador, and neither do a lot of the others. I think there are a lot more green alliances. It being a story of good versus evil, the good guys team up a lot to beat the bad guys, and so there was a little more restriction there in what mm. they could, could and couldn't do. Um, I had said to people if, if they had kind of an accurate thematic thing, we, I could judge on its merit, and, and there was some flexibility in a few of the armies. But but on the whole, it was uh, yeah, it was it was largely a good versus good event with a few outlying kind of hunter orcs and bits and pieces. Yeah, and the the Mahood raiders and, and yeah. stuff like that. I I have to say the hobbits. The Hobbits. Oh, you know, this this was an, a list that was allowed. And it and I told you this before the event. This is, this is uh, you know, allowing pure Hobbits at this points level can be uh, a bad one. And they ended up coming second as well. So Hobbits at 423 points, very good, especially if you've got 40 models. Yeah, it's something of a controversial one. Um, <laughs> allegedly, I agreed to it at a point in the past. Anyone that's been to an event with me will know the situation at the point I agreed it. Um, you, were, you were bevved up. Allegedly. You were pissed as a fart. Allegedly so. <laughs> um, but um, Larry's a nice guy, and he had a chat with me, and I said, because yeah. he had like 50 models to paint in a week, and I said, if you can get it done, then do yeah, it. do it. And he did, and they looked pretty good as well. It wasn't it wasn't like he just sort of slapped paint on and hoped for the best. It, 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 it was a decent job, and it yeah. was, yeah. It, it, it's good to see him doing well. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that he didn't quite make it to the, the, the uh, top spot, just, yeah. just to avoid any... Uh, controversy yeah the, so. well, either way it, it's, it's, it's a learning point for us all that hobbits are very good at 423 points uh, but Nathan thank you very much there's another one in March I believe and this is a two towers themed one this will be a two towers themed one details are not entirely ironed out yet but it'll be two towers themed the scenarios will be pre-selected with book title references or something yeah. and there'll be some kind of janky rule in place to restrict thinking and make people think more not restrict thinking yeah. think think <laughs> make more. people think yeah we don't <laughs> want to restrict thinking well nathan thank you very much for organizing it's been a great event and uh, i look forward to the next one thank you very much Ray. and the winner is aaron pullen who uh, earlier on in the podcast uh, gave me a good fisting well it was, it was actually quite a close game wasn't it but um very close uh, game earlier on in fact but you've gone on to to win the tournament with what was it um four wins and a draw in total yeah that's right four wins and a draw yep yeah how, how do you feel uh, yeah, great, great. First win of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, over the moon. It's great. And is it? So now you've you've been trying out your. Uh, this, this as a reminder. This is the Mahud list. There's all the camels in the world with Suladan. And um, you've been sort of 
trying this out for a while, you've got the half trolls as well. What, what is it about the camels that works well at this sort of lowish points, 423 points? Yeah, so at low points to medium-ish, it's, it's basically the camels where the impact hits. Don't get me wrong, you have to have a bit of luck on your side. They are a little bit swingy. Um, but I find at lower points, a lot of people are taking lists with low defence guys like D3, D4, and that's great for my camels. They're just true for them. Yeah, so you got you played up against a Hobbit list. You played up against um, a, a hunter, hunter orcs as well. Oh, hunter orcs—they're quite tricky at this point level. Yeah, yeah. The hunter, un, ah, sorry, hunter orcs was uh, very tricky. That was my draw. Um, obviously, the impact it's got in and everything, but with the amount of attacks they get. Um, you know, it was very swingy. We yeah, because they had about thirty models of hunter army, didn't it? Oh yes, yeah, thirty odd models um, against my fourteen. So I'm relying on my impact hits here. Uh, don't get me wrong, they did well, but it's just the weight of numbers which uh, came down to the draw. Right, and and because it was sort of sort of similar in ours, but uh, the because I've got uh, some low defense like the Numenorians and stuff like that. But but like the as you mentioned, there was a. a Swinginess, the swinginess of them means that it, it can be quite tricky, and you've got to really play your top, you know, top game to be able to, to take those wins. Because in our in our game, obviously, I, I killed a lot of your stuff because essentially you just got unlucky um, and you didn't get as many kills as possible. But you still need to have that player skill, which you clearly have, to be able to come out the other side in, in our game, in particular, to get the win. Yeah, that's right. Um, particularly, you've got to be, you've got to have the charge um, and. Do not mess that up by losing priority and uh, getting charged, basically, in the initial roll-off. Um, also, mic management and when to use it is very important. Um, also, targeting these heroes with uh, mic points. If I can get my Mahud King into one of them, chances are he will kill him just because he's a, a beast being five, five, strength five, plus one to wound. If I can get a hero off the board very early with him, it puts me in a very good position. Yeah, and I suppose because you've got that impaler hit in the in the initial charge against you know a lot of heroes. Some have horse lord, obviously, but you know if you take that horse out and they're dehorsed, they can't even strike or anything like that. Once you charge them, which is a big, big swing potentially for a relatively cheap hero for you. Yeah, that's it. Um, especially if they um, have priority first and I'm counter charging a lot of the time. Yeah, king will go in if you don't dismount him. Okay, I'll send another camel in. If it don't happen, I'll send another camel in. Mm. So it all goes on positioning with my opponent and myself. Um, and if all that fails, I've got strike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, Aaron, well done. I know you are a great player and you, you do well at big tournaments, but um, what's the next one for you and, and is it going to be a camel-filled list? <laughs> Funny you say that. It's uh, into the West, so Cardiff um, in a couple of weeks. I was toying around with um, taking them. but um, that's 450 points or thereabouts, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, yes. Um, I have a feeling at 100-point events, the camel list might not do as well mm. with uh, being some more top players there. Yeah, so there's a GBHL 100. Yeah, so it's a it's a more competitive tier. Definitely, definitely. So um, I'm going with a different build this time, even new faction actually. So um, or oh, be revealed. Or will be. He's keeping it coy, keeping his cards close to his uh, uh, his chest. Well, Aaron, well uh, well done on the game and and uh, and uh, beating me earlier, and, and well done on the tournament in, in total. Thanks for talking to me again. Thanks, Harry. It was great. So there you go. Well done to Aaron. Uh, as we've said uh, in in that interview, the the camels are just so powerful at this points level. Yes, it's kind of an elite force, and you need those uh, impact hits to really smash through stuff. But when they do, they, if every model you take off at 400 or thereabouts points, it, it's a huge swing in terms of body count. Because I, I can't remember exactly how many models Aaron had, but it was you know a dozen or thereabouts, wasn't it? He, he literally just said so. But um, 
you know it, all you need to do is kill like two or three on the the charge and suddenly you know you're you're in a really commanding position and and that's exactly what he did in the game against us but i just managed to blunt the king's charge um by dying <laughs> by three of the guys dying and then countercharging with the biggest hero in the game or one of them glorfindel and and chopping up the king so um that was lucky um, but he he played it fantastically to win the game against uh, against me, despite getting insanely unlucky with the king. Um, so well done to Aaron, um, uh, well deserved, and another win on the tally for Aaron, who by the way is in our GBHL team. Um, I don't know whether this is something you've seen or uh, if you're in the Great British Hobbit League in. Um, uh, in the UK, uh, essentially, there's a team system. All you need to do, uh, have a search out on the Great British Hobbit League Facebook page or the website, and there's a blog talking about it. Uh, essentially, you need to just send a message to um, Dewey Evans, who is the uh, the, t- uh, the sort of rankings officer in the league, and compile eight other names, including yourself, if you're the captain, and send in the submit the results, uh, submit the your team into the thing and then basically what happens is Dewey automatically does all this you do don't need to do anything other than submit your names and then at the end of the year uh, the team with the best score wins a thing which is always good uh, essentially how it works is it, it tallies up the best 10 scores from um, from your team and each player can only submit a maximum of two results so um, you know it, it's essentially so one person doesn't do all the work um, and then the person with the best team wins. So already Aaron is is in the fellow bellies. So this is a fellowship of the ring, um, of course, but made up mostly of yellow bellies, uh, which is people from Lincolnshire. That's a nickname that the folks of Lincolnshire have always had. We're yellow bellies, and um, essentially we've also got uh, battle camper Alex Temple. On, along for the ride as well because he was looking for a home and we had a spare slot so uh, it's going to be very exciting to see um, how the fella bellies do at the end of the year but Aaron as part of the team has already basically secured the uh, a couple of tournament wins which means that uh, we're actually doing all right for ourselves as the fella bellies already because he's submitting two points unless he improves on his score um, uh, you know which he may well do if he if he does well at um, other big tournaments and we've got a solid start from uh, from some scores. And also Tim. Tim Elwes we spoke to there with Grimbold, Haldir and Haleth. He has got a third place finish uh, at that tournament with his, his uh, weird list there. Um, so he's done really well. So that's another solid score for the fella bellies. Um, mine perhaps not, not, uh, not going to do well in the rankings but exciting time for the gbhl team so if you have a gbhl team get it get it on there or you want to form a, a community group that's going off to travel to events do it do it all you need to do is have five people minimum go to two events and your scores will all tally up and that'd be fine uh, or you can have nine people and some people's poor poor showings might not actually help or hinder your team which is always handy so that's what we're hoping to do with our team so uh, brilliant stuff that's gbhl teams that is the fellowship of grantham cracking event looking forward to another one down there and I'm, i think there is another one uh, in that sort of area in uh, a few months time so we're excited about that right so that's the uh, that's it for the podcast. We've got next uh, episode, which will probably come fairly soon after this. Um, we're going to have event moot. Uh, it's talking about events, uh, including the ETC slash WTC. You may have heard whispers of on the, uh, of this on the internet, or maybe seen it mentioned on the uh, on the odd forum or Facebook posts uh, talking about teams from across the world who compete at the highest level uh, in the, uh, the uh, in the hobby and. 
That's happening again this summer. I'm not allowed to go, but I'm asking the people or the person who runs it uh, to basically explain what it is and how the hell do we get involved if we want to be considered to be part of that team. So talking about that, they're talking about the GP, the Grand Prix, uh, along with some other big cash prize tournaments, as well as continuing the 3D printing debate. I want to know, do you think that 3D printing is killing the game? What do you think? I'm particularly interested in you if you think it is. And also maybe we'll slip some... um, Quest of the Ring Bearer scenarios in. So we've got an action-packed podcast. I've pretty much got everything ready for it. So it'll be out in a matter of days, if not a week. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Boo-ra-rum. Boo-ra-rum.